and welcome back to another episode of Over the Glass. I am your host, Jay. I am co-host Nessa. Today we have another guest, Clayton Terrio. Uh, would you mind giving a little introduction, who you are, how you got into hockey, who your favorite team is? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Clayton Terrio. Um, I'm 30 years old. Um, I've got a disability called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. How I got into hockey, oh boy. Um, about as long as I can remember, I've been a Leafs fan because my parents were Leafs fans, unfortunately. Um, haven't really experienced much success in my lifetime, but that's okay. Um, hockey's pretty much like a paramount thing in my life. I, it's always been there. Um, I played what's called power wheelchair hockey for several years when I was 15 until I was about 18, I think. Um, and I've been involved in that for years as well. Um, I know a lot of the people that work for Power Hockey Canada, which is the power hockey organization, it's like Hockey Canada, but for power chair hockey. And uh, other than that, really, like I said, just been a constant theme in my life. And hockey has just always been there for me. So I appreciate anything and everything about hockey. So there you go. Can you kind of describe what power power chair hockey is like? Yeah, so you so I'm in a power chair. So it's all all the athletes in power hockey are in power chairs. Um, you basically, you drive with one hand and you have your stick in the other hand. Um, you use a wiffle ball and the rules are pretty much the same as ice hockey. Um, it's very similar. It's five versus five with a goalie. Um, and there's penalties like charging, high sticking, obviously not tripping because we're all on wheels, but charging is very common. Um, the chairs go quite fast. And if you run into somebody, they call it charging. Um, whether it's interference or not, um, at least as far as I'm aware, that's when I played, that's what the rules were. They might've changed a little bit. Um, it's been like 12 years. So, but yeah, it's power wheelchairs and sticking a ball. That's about it. Nice. I mean, yeah, the sport can be adapted to let everybody play. And thank you for sharing that experience with us. Um, so our condolences to um, your favorite team. Yes, <laughs> we are, thank you. Well, we're going through our own situation right now, so we can all lean on each other and and be upset. If you want to share your thoughts on Dubis parting ways with the organization and your thoughts of who came in and how you feel about all that. Yeah, so with, with Hockey Tomorrow, I wrote the article about Dubis's exit um, it, it, it appears honestly to me that Shanahan was calling the shots. Um, ju- just judging by the fact that the day after they named Dubas Jim in Pittsburgh, he acquired Carlson, as you would know, you, you two are Sharks fans, but it's, it, I think ultimately it's Shanahan's baby, but I've been saying the whole time, I, I don't really like the direction the team's going. It, it seems like he's, I don't know, like as, as you both know, Shannon was a very gritty player, and only this offseason did the Leafs really add grit, and that's what they've been lacking the whole time. It, like, it's it's pretty obvious. Like, skill alone does not win hockey games. You need defense. You need grit. You need a good goaltender. Like, it's a team sport. It's not just give the puck to Matthews and let him put it in the net. But I, I think it was very 
drama filled obviously it is a Leafs situation storyline there's always drama with the fans and management's pretty they're, they're very I don't know I don't know what word to use they're very behind closed doors in the organization so really I, I don't think we'll ever know at least for several years what really went down but like they said Dubas asked for more money more power and Shanahan said no see you later basically um but moving forward I think Treliving is a good GM I mean he made some pretty good moves with Calgary and he's not afraid to move big names um but now that Marner Nylander and Matthews no trade has kicked in who knows if they're going to say yes to a trade or even if he'll try to trade them because there was that storyline I think about a week after Dubas was fired or not renewed, I guess he wasn't really fired, but that he, like Shannon called Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner and told them you're probably not going to be traded. And as far as I'm concerned, like, I don't think they're going to re-sign Nylander. Um, I think Nylander is as good as gone. I mean, I could be wrong. He signed right at the deadline in December the first time around, but apparently he wants nine or 10 million, which to me is an overpay, but who knows? And then Marner, I don't think I want Marner to stay, but it seems he has a lot of trouble playing in this market. Um, as you see, he gets a hundred points every season and then he kind of disappears in the playoffs, but yeah, I don't know. It is what it is. We'll see. I'm, I'm curious to see Bertuzzi in a lease Jersey. Um, Reeves, I think will be more of a, a depth player than anything. He's, he is 37 now, which in a young league is not very young anymore, but I'm glad they got him. I think he'll add a little bit more intimidation in there, but yeah, I don't know. I like, I like the moves for living's done. I don't have a problem with any of them. Well, that's a good mindset to go into. We, we had our GM shift about just what a year now. So um, I think that's a good way to kind of go into a change and um mm -hmm. wish you guys luck um it, it sounds like a big shakeup, and we don't really know what it's like to to have that scrutiny in, in a big market but um yeah like you said there's there's a couple of those contracts that are um coming up and there's going to be some big changes that are going to be made if if things don't start going in the right direction for uh, especially with such a big market like Toronto. Yeah. And it's a business, right? At the end of the yeah. day, you gotta, you gotta make some tough decisions, but yeah, I mean, it's every team goes through it. Every team hits rock bottom and then they rebuild. It's, it's, it's a constant overhaul in the NHL. That's for sure. So one of the reasons that we wanted to bring you on today is we heard that you have a bit of a situation going on right now where, you need to acquire a new wheelchair van. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Do you mind letting us know what the, the situation is for you right now with that? Yeah, for sure. So I, I can't walk at all. So I rely on my chair and the van to get around. And if it's long distances, I need to be driven somewhere. So my mom and my dad drive me around. I don't have my license. It's, it's very hard to get an adapted vehicle, but we were on, so we just we just went through van number three. So the van, it was an older van. It was like a 90s van. So it was, we knew it was only a matter of time until it died. But um, about three weeks ago, 
the brakes went and then we took it in for a service and found out there's at least $10,000 worth of work. And in an aging vehicle, it's just not worth it. So I've started a GoFundMe because I can't get funding for a new wheelchair van and they're not cheap. Um, they, they go for about 50,000 because they have to convert it to allow your chair to drive into the car and all the different attachments that you need in the van to, to strap the chair in. So it doesn't move when you're driving are also very expensive. So I'm trying to raise money. I think I've got 2000 in a week, which is pretty good. Um, slowly, but surely, but I'm just looking for any help I can get, whether it's not even donating it, just sharing my cause and you know, looking around for me, asking around if, if anybody knows any connections, I'd appreciate any help I can get. Even a $5 donation goes further than you think. And yeah, so that's the situation I'm in. I've no way of getting around other than locally right now, which it is what it is. I mean, I'm sure I'll get one eventually, but I hope I raise enough money to buy it because they are not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll definitely share your GoFundMe link. Uh, just send it our way. Uh, we'll post it on our, our podcast, yes, thank you. Twitter and socials and things. So Awesome. Thank you. Can you um, share a little bit in your day in the life with using your wheelchair van versus without having it? So if I don't have it, so every every city generally has accessible transit. So I could technically, I live in a place called Oakville, Ontario, and we have what's called the caravan. And that's a bus service that picks you up at your house, like your place of residence and brings you anywhere within Oakville where you need to go. So basically, I could take my doctors in Hamilton, which is two cities over. So I could take the caravan to Burlington, which would take about 30 minutes. And then I could transfer at Burlington and go to the border of Hamilton, which would take another probably 30 minutes to an hour. And then a bus to the hospital where my doctor is. But that that's like three hours versus if I had a van, it would take about, I think it's 30 minutes to get to my doctor. So really it's not that I can't get around without it, but it's, it's a lot more work. And because with the Duchenne muscular dystrophy, I'm very weak, so I can't really lift much. So I always need someone with me traveling just to help me with certain things, whether it's in the washroom or opening a drink or grabbing something like to eat, like to put it in front of me and open the food. So it would be, it would probably take six hours round trip to get even to a doctor's appointment for me. So it's definitely way easier with a van. With a van too, I can also go to my cottage, which is three hours away. If I want to go to my cottage by any other means, it takes about five hours to go on the train. And then the bus where my cottage is takes me from the train station to the cottage. But it's just so much easier to have a van because and if there's like a medical emergency of any kind and an ambulance can't get to me in time, then the van could get me there as well. So it's very, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you never know. Like it, it's just definitely a lot more convenient. And like I said, they're not cheap and funding is almost unattainable once you're an adult. If, you, if you're a child with a disability, parents can get funding. But now that I'm 30 and I'm on disability in Ontario, I can't get funding because they already fund me for other medications and medical things. So it's, it's quite the, it's quite the sticky situation. 
Yeah. It's not much better here in the States. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It is what it is. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, I have faith in people. I've, I've done a few GoFundMes for things I couldn't afford before. And I've had, I'm two for two with doing GoFundMes to raise money for certain things. So it'll take a bit of time, but I'm, I'm, I've got faith in humanity. There's good people out there. A lot of people say there's no good people left, but that's just simply not true. I think it's just, you have to find the right people. So, yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, going back to the topic of hockey, uh, what yep. is your experience like going to hockey games as a wheelchair user? Honestly, very good. Um, as, as I'm sure you're aware, because the Leafs are such a big market, tickets are not cheap, but the wheelchair seats at Scotiabank Arena are fantastic. Um, I've also been to, let me think. So I've been to a Senators game. They're great with accessibility. Uh, in grade 12, when I was in high school, we did a history trip to Boston. I saw a Bruins game. They were great seats as well. And the I've seen the Coyotes in Glendale Arena before it was called Gila River Arena. They had great, the entire 200 section was was wheelchair accessible and had wheelchair seats, which is the most I've ever seen in an NHL building. And then last but not least, when I was, I want to say probably 10 years ago, I went to a Sabres game preseason against the Leafs and the seats were great as well. So every, all five arenas I've been to, absolutely fantastic. The Ushers in the building are very accommodating. Um, and I find the NHL as a whole, like the players, especially like it's a very charitable league. Um, they're very, very disability oriented. I found like most teams have a children's hospital that they sponsor every year. Um, in Toronto, it's sick kids in, in downtown Toronto, the Leafs travel there every year to visit the kids, which I think is amazing. Um, but when I was in grade eight, my Make-A-Wish trip was to Arizona to meet. I The Arizona Coyotes were always my second favorite team. I'm not sure why. I just loved their logo when I was a kid, I think. And I kind of just, Shane Doan was also one of my favorite players. So I went to Arizona to meet the team. I met, oh God, Shane Doan, Mike Comrie. But Gretzky was the coach at the time. And the reason I did the trip as well was to meet him. And the week I was in Arizona is when the gambling scandal hit with Rick Tockett, who was the assistant coach at the time. And I never got to meet Gretzky because the media was after him thinking he was a part of this whole gambling scandal. And so I never got to meet Wayne Gretzky. So that's, that's one thing I'm still yet to achieve is meet him. Um, I've always wanted to meet Wayne. He's, I've heard nothing but good stories about him and his family and his, his dad, Walt, unfortunately passed away, but he, he was such a charitable man. And I think Wayne really looked up to his dad. And so it's, it, again, something I've never achieved, but I hope one day to meet Wayne. That's definitely on the bucket list, but that's pretty much it. I mean, it's been very supportive. Hockey in general has been very well, really, it's it's been there for me when I'm down. Like, I honestly, I'll just play NHL 23, whatever video game comes out every year. 
um, or watch hockey highlights when I'm down or during hockey season, throw the game on and you just kind of, you know, you forget all that troubles you during those two or three hours. And it's been nothing but positive memories for me with hockey. That's for sure. That sounds great. Like, I'll be honest, it's not something I pay attention to, uh, the accessibility for for wheelchair users specifically, but um, like, I don't know what it, the situation's like at SAP Center. I know when I was in Vancouver, it seemed like they, they were pretty accommodating. Um, and Chanel worked for the Kraken, so I'm sure they have a good, a good foundation there as well. So it's nice to see that they're actually like putting some thought into, into these um, accessibilities. Exactly. And it's like, like Chanel is great. Like she, like she's the one who interviewed me for the job with hockey of tomorrow. And like, I've seen a lot of diversity and like accessibility awareness that she's shared. And it's, it's great to see big organizations like the leaps and other teams while the Kraken just, just hiring Chanel is a big, a big step. And as, as I'm sure you two are aware, like diversity is big. Like it's, it's, it's important to celebrate diversity as well, whether it's LGBTQ accessibility, um, like at-risk youth getting opportunities in the sport. Like it's, it's, I, I think it's a great sport. I mean, obviously there, it's a big, there's a lot of improvement to go. As you saw with hockey Canada, they did a complete overhaul and even Chicago covering up the scandal there. Like there is some work to be done, but it's, it's good to see. And I think we are going in the right direction. Um, it's, it's very, like I said, it, and people say, well, why, why get that stuff involved in hockey? Well, why not? I mean, these people have a voice, they have an audience, so it should be celebrated. Like diversity is a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, it's, it's good to see everybody included. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's great to see. Preaching to yes. the choir. We know. <laughs> um, well, I will say we, we last season, we had some Sharks fans, um, Lauren and Ren Reeve come on um, and they spoke about their experience over at SAP. Um, um, Ren being a wheelchair user and then just um, like other, other avenues of accommodation that um, the Sharks had. I, mean, I haven't been to too many other arenas, but you you sound like you've you've been to quite a few of them, and it's nice to hear that the NHL does have a level of focus because, like you said, diversity is beautiful, and this sport is for everybody, you know. And it's wonderful to hear all these different perspectives and seeing how the sport can be adapted so that everyone can enjoy it because it's, it's a lot of fun. Definitely. And I, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's such a great sport. And like, I'm so glad that we, that it has improved how it has, like, I remember even 20 years ago, you barely saw anything to do while in society alone about LGBTQ accessibility, you name it, like it just didn't exist. And now it's, it's everywhere, which it should be like, there you obviously you have your bigots that are against it but it's like those people don't deserve to you know what i mean like without being too negative it's like why hate on other people just celebrate diversity like 
your life is your life. So do what you are comfortable with and you should be able to enjoy whatever you want, regardless of where you come from or what orientation you are. So I, I love it. I just think, I think humans are awesome. So, I mean, I've, I've just like, there's so much negativity on social media and stuff, but I try to stay away from that. Like if someone's being toxic, just, you don't need to, you know, cut them out. It, it, it doesn't, if it doesn't benefit you, there's no point in, in having it. But anyway, I'm, I'm kind of ranting here, but. That's <laughs> <laughs> <No>, great. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted to go back a bit to the situation with your your wheelchair van. Um, I mean, it goes without saying, even we could talk for hours and we won't come anywhere close to understanding what it's like in, in, a, in a day in your life and the, the obstacles that you face, not even just like with not having a, a workable van, but just in general, we know the situation with insurance. I mean, we're American, so it's a, it's a bit different, but you talked a little bit about you have other, other things that your, your healthcare covers as far as finances are concerned. But I guess I'm kind of wondering, is, is the van just not considered necessary or is there like a certain time frame that they, you know, they'll say like, oh, well, we won't, we won't pay for another van for like another 10 years. So it has to kind of just last you that long. Can you kind of give us like a, a deeper understanding of where your situation is with fi the financial aspect of it? Yes. Yeah, so another part of it is because, so I've got a friend named John and he gets his stuff covered because he's a quadriplegic, but he can drive. So he's got hand controls in his van. So that's covered. But because my parents drive me and I can't get my license, it's technically not mine. Like it should be like it to me, it's, it's unacceptable that it's not considered essential because like I said, a medical appointment, it shouldn't take me three hours to get to a medical appointment. Like that's just an able-bodied person get in their car, drive and be there in 20 minutes. Whereas it would take me several hours without a van, but in terms of the insurance, so that's why. So because I don't drive it personally, the funding is a little bit complicated. Like other things like my wheelchair, because the wheelchair is for me every five years, if your chair needs replacing, the government covers it, but because I don't drive, the van isn't. So it's, it, like I said, it should be considered essential. I don't agree with it. I think like a lot of these decisions by insurance companies and our governments are made by people who have never been disabled or nor do they know, like you said, you could, add, we could talk for hours and I only know what I go through. You, nobody else really, they can empathize with it and they can have sympathy for me, but to to walk a mile in someone's shoes is definitely the kicker there. So, so yeah. So again, just to recap, because I don't drive it myself, technically it's not for me and it's my parents' insurance. So that's why I can't get it. Like I said, it, it's, it's pretty silly, but I mean, that's just the way it is. And I'm just grateful that so many people have donated to the GoFundMe because it really does mean a lot. Like, it will make my life a hundred times easier than not having one. That's, that's for certain. 
Yeah, that definitely makes no sense. It's frustrating. <laughs> no, yeah. see, it, it is frustrating. And it's like, like I said, certain things are covered, but other things aren't. It's just, it's kind of backwards. But like I said, it's the way it is. Nothing I can do about it. I've lobbied the government about it and gotten nowhere, but I'll continue to do so. I mean, like, you know, for other people as well. Like, I don't think many people realize how difficult it is and how expensive the vans really are. Like, I think the the most expensive van brand new is $90,000. And I don't have that money. <laughs> um, if you go lower than the 90000 it's about fifty for a brand new one. We're actually looking for a used one because it's cheaper. Like we cannot afford even fifty thousand. Like that's a lot of money, you know. No one really has fifty grand lying around anymore. Yeah, we just look under my mattress where I stash my monies. No, <laughs> that's a lot of money. That's ridiculous. Yep. Um. So. Can you kind of explain, or I guess talk to us about uh, your opinions on how you think society can do better with accessibility in Canada, as well as you've you've traveled to the States, um, and if you've traveled to any other countries? So travel-wise, only the States. But honestly, to be better as a society, I notice a lot of people, like, I'll give an example of something that's happened several times to me and it's a little kid approaches me and then the parents kind of like they'll start asking me questions and the parents are like, no, no, don't. And honestly, ask all the questions you want. As long as it's not a rude pointed question, most disabled people will talk to you. I, I mean, believe it or not, we are human beings and it's, you know, just ask the questions, talk to us and like, you know, raise away. If you see a nice story about a disabled person or like my GoFundMe of a disabled person, even just sharing a GoFundMe or a charity to donate money to goes a long way. And just, I think society needs to be more comfortable having the conversations. And honestly, I think diversity panels should all have at least one disabled person on said panel like here in oakville they've got accessibility meetings every month and everybody in the meeting at town hall is able-bodied it's like well shouldn't disabled people be the ones helping make these decisions like i just don't understand how an able-bodied person and don't get me wrong most able-bodied people are great like all i have such a big support system and all my friends because they have the lived experience of having me as a friend know all about all these issues but I find a lot of people don't have the experience of knowing someone who's disabled but ultimately at the end of the day most people will become disabled with age either your hips go or your knees or your back or all three like you know what I mean like no matter what we're all going to get old and experience it at some point so I think just the awareness is what needs to continue just keep sharing, keep asking the the questions. And honestly, having the hard conversations is, I think, important to any issue, like all the political issues that we have, they're hard conversations to have, but they're needed. And the only way we're going to improve is if we have the conversations that are difficult to have. And I think, honestly, it's gotten a lot better since I was a kid, but it can it can still improve. And I think 
I think a lot of disabled people are still kind of an afterthought, which is sad. But I mean, it, like I said, if you don't have a lived experience with disability, it's kind of hard to have that empathy. Like sympathy is one thing, but having empathy for others is, I think, paramount to fixing these issues. So yeah, I think just socially make it more acceptable. And like I said, ask the questions. We like don't think that disabled people don't like talking about their disability. I find in my life, like if someone asks a question I'm not comfortable answering or I don't have knowledge on, I'll let them know that, sorry, that's just something I don't like to talk about. But generally, I'll talk about pretty much anything. And most of my friends that are disabled, Chanel included, are great people. And, you know, you'll learn a lot from disabled people as well, I think. I think it. I think it's taught me patience. It's taught me definitely empathy for others. Like my parents taught me that, but I think, so I stopped, I'll, I'll add to that. So when I was 12 is when I stopped walking. So I walked till I was 12 and the first year was really tough, but my mom had prepared me. So from the age of seven on, my mom told me like, you're going to be in a wheelchair eventually. And I know it's not what you want to hear, but we're going to prepare you. So from like six or seven years old, I knew it was going to happen eventually. So I was very, very prepared for what was next. And I, I thank my mom all the time for being so open with me because I, I really think, I don't think I'd be nearly as positive or mature as I am today if it wasn't for her and other disabled role models that I had growing up saying like, it's, there's nothing wrong with being quote different just because you're different physically doesn't mean you're not you're not similar to everybody else like the only difference between me and the body person is I I use a chair to get around instead of my legs that's it right so it's it's very like I love talking about it. I'm actually a disability advocate myself I've I've got a brand I called it cognizant clay because cognizant is a synonym for the word aware. So Cognizant Clay is like my stage name on my social media. And it's like, I've met a lot of people. I've, I've actually recorded 45 podcasts myself interviewing different, um, whether it's disabled people as well as allies of the disabled community. So I, I've interviewed like George Strombolopoulos, um, Rick Mercer, a Canadian comedian. And all I did was send these people messages and ask if they wanted to be on my show. And they said yes. And I've met like probably 200 different advocates over since COVID. Um, that's when I started the podcast and the, the channel was during COVID. Um, I found there's another thing. COVID um, really magnified the issues with the disabled community. Like it, we were all locked down and oftentimes in the winter and other points in my life, I've been basically quote locked down and stuck because whether it's a health issue or in the winter, if it's snowy, I can't really get around in my chair very well. So I knew what it was like to be locked down inside all the time. And I thought, you know what, now is a perfect chance to do a podcast. Everybody's off work. So I just started firing emails out and yeah, I recorded 45. So I haven't done one in about a year because I just, I was dealing with some health issues. I was also, I got a new wheelchair a few years ago, which takes a long time to get used to. 
and it was just, yeah, it was the time to do it. So yeah, sorry to ramble, but that's pretty much it. Like I said, have the hard conversations, talk to us and don't be afraid to ask questions because you may learn something. So yeah. I wanted to, yeah, just reiterate the part where you're talking about how you should have a diversity in in the room. Our ongoing theme is diversity. And I just, I guess I just don't understand when people get into a bit of a closed-minded set where they just want to look at and hear only people who look like them, who who think like them and stuff like that. Um, I feel very grateful when I meet other folks who come from other walks of life and I get to continue to educate myself through their experiences. And um, there's a, there's these content creators, Squirmy and Grubs on, on YouTube. I love them. They're not only are they wonderful wonderful folks and also allies to the to the queer community but i've just just by through their conversations and through them sharing their life on on youtube i learn things every day that can that inspire me to find ways to help folks in communities that i might not be a part of but that at the end of the day it's like we should all be trying to help one another I don't, I don't understand how folks can, can hear these stories and then easily be like, well, but it's not my problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't see how you could hear stories like this and, and not feel compelled to try and help out. Like, I know everybody's going through their own struggles and I'm not saying like do a whole know their problems are more important than yours type of thing but even something as small as like you said like your fundraiser right now like a like five bucks can go a long way it's like you don't have to all of a sudden join all these groups and spend all your weekend volunteering at different locations you can find there's always a there's always some kind of way that you can help someone else out yeah and like i said even sharing even sharing the story goes a long way. Like you may teach even one person something and that's, that's all it takes. Like, yeah, squirming grubs are great. That's Shane Burke on Hannah. They're married too, which is like, everyone always assumes that Hannah is Shane's caregiver because he's in a wheelchair and she's not. And it's like, even that teaches a lot. I've learned a lot from Shane as well. Like he's just, and he's funny too. Like he, he's very, he, he uses humor as a way to raise the awareness. And I, I love that. I think humor is, is the perfect way to share it. Like he always laughs at himself and it's just like, that's a strong person. Like he's able to, you know, kind of make light of a dark situation to maybe, you know, just, just to add that little bit of positive light to it. Like, yeah, they are, they are phenomenal. I, a lot of my friends actually really like them because he's just, they're just so, so good. Like you say, being, allies for the lgbtq community and he's disabled so he's really killing two birds with one stone by he knows that other people have helped him so why not help out another group that's maybe misrepresented you know what i mean it's it's very it's like it's it's a very cool thing to have people like that that's for sure and then another thing i remember um 
because you mentioned how there's parents that their kids will come up to you and the parents will try and like steer them away like oh don't talk to them blah 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 and where like i know shane's mentioned a few a few times where people will come up and not only will they ask inappropriate questions like i think like as queer people we can relate to people coming up and being like you know wanting to know about our sex lives it's like what you wouldn't ask a straight couple that like mm -hmm. just like it that's invasive like like i just met you on the street like um but going back to the the memory that i had that shane was um mentioning like people will come up and not only ask inappropriate questions but then they might just not talk to him and they talk to hannah or they talk to him like he's a five-year-old child and it's like, just come up and talk to them like a human being. Like you don't, like, I think sometimes people also, you know, I will say people probably get nervous and then they act a little weird, but that's why you should seek out, you know, things like squirming and grubs, just watch a, just watch a couple of videos. It, you know, through the process of that, you'll, you'll educate yourself that what what's not right and you know how you should approach things and uh because i think the biggest worry is you know after a while it it's valid to get upset if you've been hearing the same thing like 10 times a day and maybe have a moment where you react like frustrated and in that moment maybe somebody will take that as oh i should never talk to somebody in a wheelchair now or i should never talk to queer people because this is how they all are like in some ways, I do get a little worried that if I don't like act nicely, even though I'm being offended in that moment, like that could be like the the uh, like an unfortunate turning point for somebody. Definitely, and I think, yeah, it's it's definitely like I've experienced that. I still do at 30 years old. People treating me like I'm a kid, but I'll respond with my normal voice, and they realize, oh, like. <laughs> It isn't like, you know what I mean? But even like, I find even people with, with developmental and mental disabilities, like they don't want to be treated like a baby either. Like we're, we're human beings. And at the end of the day, like you say, like people are curious, but at least be polite with your questions. You like, I remember once where I reacted badly, I was younger. I, I was, you know, 13 and you know how moody 13 year olds are. And this lady was staring at me. And my friend and I both went, hey, lady, take a picture. It lasts longer. And now that I'm 30 years old, it's funny, but it's like, maybe I should have said, hey, like, can I help you? Like, maybe she was curious. And even as an adult, had never seen someone in a wheelchair before. I don't know that. Like, I find any moment is a teaching moment. And you don't like that was rude of me and my friend to do. But like I said, I'd, I had I was having a bad week and several people had stared at me and I finally said, you know what, like get lost kind of thing. But I wish I would have said like, oh, like, how are you? Can I help you? Like, are, do you have any questions or like, you know, whatever, just be polite to her. And I, I, I regret doing that. But at the same time, like you say, I think we're all human and at a point people reach their breaking point And sometimes we maybe say something we regret. And, but like you say, you don't want to give that impression especially as a misrepresented or a, a minority group of people, you don't want them to think that everybody in a wheelchair is like that or every queer person is like that. 
or every transgender, you name it, every like whatever, it, any nationality is like that. Like I think it's we do have a responsibility to be polite to one another, but you know, if someone's being a little too invasive, it shouldn't be a problem to say, look, that's not appropriate and I'm not answering your question. Like I, I don't think that that's that makes you a bad person, especially if the person's being like you say, like touchy, like um, nosy, I guess is the word I'd be looking for. Like, you know, just be polite to one another. And, you know, maybe if someone's like, I, I try to think too, if someone's staring at me, it's probably because they don't have an experience with disabled people. Like a lot of times it's a little kid. And I, with kids, I kind of am a little bit less nervous when they're staring at me because it's a little child. Like they don't, they might not have seen like, I've had kids say, are you a robot? And I think that's the cutest thing. Like, it's like, no, I've, this is what's called a wheelchair and my legs aren't strong like yours. So I need it to get around. And 99% of the time, the kid is amazed. And it's like, I feel proud that I've taught a kid that like my sister has two little girls, Abby and Michaela, they're five and four. And I'd like to think that I am teaching them just by showing them that you know, Uncle Clayton's a little different than me, but that's only physically. He's no different mentally. And, you know, I, I hope they learn from me that it's okay, you know, to celebrate, like we said earlier, diversity and, you know, different is good. Like people are so scared of change, but honestly, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love like living near Toronto is a very diverse place. And I love culture. I love different cuisines. I love, like, you name it, like, well, Toronto's got the Pride Parade. They've got Carnival. They've got what's called Taste of the Danforth, which is a Greek food festival. They have Jerk Festival, which is Jamaican, like, food and, like, different music festivals. Like, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think, like I said earlier, diversity is beautiful and we need to celebrate it, not shy, like, steer away from it. Because uh, I was curious about the sort of articles you're contributing to uh, Hockey of Tomorrow. Um, I haven't <laughs> I haven't read all the articles on the website because there's been so many on there. And I was just curious about the, the topics that you've written about so far. So I started two months ago. I, I was having some, it, it wasn't anything major, but I had a bit of a health thing going on last month, so I didn't write any. But the first one I wrote about what's called the Flanders Cup, which is Flanders, Belgium. Like it's Flanders is where the poem in Flanders Tales was written, um, which I think is cool. But that is a wheelchair hockey tournament in Belgium every year. And they host teams from different countries. I think this year they had Dutch teams, Belgian teams, German teams, uh, Team Canada sent a team. Uh, I think Switzerland had one. And it's just a, it's an exhibition tournament every year to showcase different wheelchair hockey teams. So it's called, it's called power hockey in uh, Europe and power chair hockey in North America. So that I was basically focusing on the differences between the two as well. Um, and then I wrote an article about uh, Kyle Dubas leaving the Leafs. And then I also did one about, so I know a guy named Brad Bowden, he's Canadian, who was the assistant captain of our sledge hockey team in the Paralympics, um, as well as a wheelchair basketball player 
gold medalist with Canada. And I wrote an article about him because he moved to Tokyo and he is currently training the Japanese men's sledge hockey team. Um, I forget his job title, but it's like basically focusing on training. It's not a coaching role per se, but so I wrote an article about him. It was a Q and a, and I think those are the only three I've done so far in the works right now. I'm going to do a feature on power hockey, Canada, um, because I know a lot of the players that I played with when I was younger are in that organization. So that's in the works, but like I said, I had a bit of a health thing last month, so I've kind of been away from it a little bit, but I'm trying to write about as many different topics as possible, but I, I'd like to focus more on sledge hockey, power wheelchair hockey, and other like disability topics in hockey, because I, I've like, obviously with a lived experience with a disability, I've got a little bit of a different perspective on it, but I like writing about anything and everything. I've always, I've always enjoyed it. And honestly, I think interviews are my favorite pieces. I just love learning about people. Um, I find like that's my niche is interviewing people and writing about that. Um, but yeah, so those are the three I've written. And like I said, try to keep it as diverse as I can for sure. Awesome. Well, I think that's all that we might have for you today. Do you have any closing statements or shout outs that you want to put out into the world? Um, I don't know. I, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really do appreciate um, having this conversation and the assistance with sharing the GoFundMe. But uh, honestly, I'm going to shout out Chanel because um, I'm like – when I met her in the interview, it was it was very cool to see someone with a disability in a role like that. And I think she was very she's very like I think it's amazing that she worked with the Kraken and it's just like and she was the one who came up with the idea to have me on the pod. So thank you. And uh, the other one I'd shout out is Louisa because she made all this happen as well. So thank you to just hockey of tomorrow and Chanel and Louisa for sure. Shout out to them. Boss ladies. <laughs> Boss ladies, yeah. Strong women in hockey. <laughs> yes, and shout out to you two as well for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Aww. Thank well, you. We're so thankful for you to come on today. Honestly, thank you for having me and uh, all the best for your future pods. And I'll definitely be checking out some of your older episodes. I'm uh, curious to see what other topics you guys have discussed for sure. Thanks all for right, thank on. you. Thank you. Clayton's link to his GoFundMe can be found in the description wherever you are watching or listening to this podcast. Please donate or share the link. Thank you so much for listening.